I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Digital Bank a fully digital bank with a mission to empower every Filipino everywhere by providing easy access to digital financial services for consumers and businesses. Union Digital Bank partners with startups to co-create financial products to meet the needs of their customers. Contact Union Digital Bank to explore how they can power your platform with embedded financial services. For more information about Union Digital Bank, please see their website at www.uniondigitalbank.io. Stay updated by following them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also by Shoppable Business, your number one source for procuring products for your business in the Philippines. Discover authentic branded products online. Shop bulk, save big, and secure authentic products with official sales invoices at Shoppable Business today. Right now, we're just seeing that the critical gaps to business growth as a woman founder and as a leader is really nuanced. There's the cultural, there's the self-talk that you have, there are the roles you think you are expected to play that kind of gets in the way of you being an entrepreneur, a CEO, or a founder. And so we're tackling these gaps to business growth. So to help you go from a negative to growing and scaling, we need to address your confidence gap and your mindset. We need to address your knowledge and competence gap because to start a company is not just about registering, right? Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. 
Welcome to Lily's episode of the Share Podcast. We finally got these girls. We, we tried, what, how many times? Two, three times? <laughs> to get you guys on the show, these girls are super busy. And sometimes it's me that's not available. But now the stars align and we finally got them both to get on Hustle Share. But again, they've been helping not just themselves, but a lot of amazing female founders. My wife is one of them. Um, I would intro you, by the way, to my wife. Uh, she's my co-founder in a brand new business. Papa Pressure. There you go. <laughs> She's in charge of all the papas. Um, but again, very, very happy to welcome to the show Miss Nina Terol and Candice Kimpo of Imaginable Impact. Woo-hoo! Girls, welcome to the show. Hey, Ronster. So happy to finally get to be here. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do this. Finally, we got you guys on the show. Super, super, duper excited to have you both. But again, before I get carried away, because we're going to have to talk about a lot of girl power. I'm obviously biased towards girl power because I was raised by a tiger superpower mom, right? Woo-hoo. And I'm so I'm, I've married a tiger superpower founder woman as well. But before I get carried away, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Nina and Candice, what's your hustle? All right, so I'll start. So I'm Nina Terral, co-founder and CEO of Imaginable Impact. Okay. I'm Candice Kimpo. I am the co-founder and CEO of Imaginable Impact. And we are here to support the growth and scalability of women founders in the Philippines. There you go. Again, there's always a lack. And not, not a lack. There's not enough female founders and I'm pretty sure there's a lot more that want to be in and I'm glad you guys exist because I look at my roster I'm I'm guilty I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny I look at my roster in Hustle Share I'd say 80% of my guests are dudes not because I don't want to interview more female founders matter of fact I want to it's just that there's not a lot of them right so there's too much it's it's a Mm -hmm. sausage party every time and again, I've seen amazing women-led startups thriving, like the Kimiaos of the world, you know, even on the VC side, the Raya Brand Successors of the world and whatnot, killing it. Mm-hmm. The Mel Navas, the ever-popular Mel Nava, who's world-renowned in hustling. There's lots, but we need more. And I love that what you, that's what you guys do. But before we talk about imaginable impact and discuss why we want to empower more female founders, girls, I need you to buckle up real quick. Because before we talk about female founders and imaginable impact, we need to find your origin story. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share time machine. Huh? This is UP Ikot going to Katipunan. There you go. <laughs> all right, we're all the way back. Because again, I've, I've met Nina, what, almost 10 years ago, I guess. But you don't know yeah. again. I'll just, just go on, on a tangent real quick. There's a connection. I told her this recently. She doesn't even know that she's actually worked with my mom a long time ago during her AYLC days. Yeah, so my mom, 20 plus years ago. Correct, correct. Rose. She's <laughs> like, hey, Harry, my mom mentioned this to me. Like, hey, do you know Nina? Yeah, she used to be AYLC and, and whatnot. So my mom, again, I was raised by a single mom. All right. Put, just hustled. I, I learned how to hustle because of my mom. So again, I, I, I am a product of a strong female hustler. If, if, she, if there was a startup, she probably would have ended up <laughs> becoming a founder, right? But there, she met my mom uh, when my mom used to work for Ayala Young Leaders. And again, uh, I, I think you were one of the first few batches, right, Nina? 
I was from the first batch from the oh, 20th century nice. in 1999. Yep. There you go. I'm a dinosaur. It's all good. We're all dinosaurs now. <laughs> we go up there and oh my God, there's too many kids. But yeah, I want to understand. I'll start with, with Candice first. Okay. And then of course, we'll go to you, Nina. What was it like hustling growing up, especially as a female founder or a female hustler? Was there any um, influence or any type of uh, exposure that you've seen hustling and whatnot, or especially from a female point of view, from your mom or from your titas or whatever, that influenced you heavily uh, through your career? Actually, um, my parents are self-made as well. Wow. Um, I saw the hustle really from my parents because I didn't understand it at the time, but I have this distinct memory, for example, of my dad mm-hmm. before the internet faxing intent letters, the same copy, ibalang yung pangalan to so many people around the world because there's no internet, so it's fax after fax after fax because the office also was at home. So business was always part of my childhood memories. My parents were always working. They eventually got to build enough, you know, for themselves to send us to schools, pretty good schools. But it was also very tricky because business also took the place of a lot of family time and the relationships got a little bit strained that way that when I went into college under duress, I'm actually a business major. I did not want to do business at all. Why? Um, What was the initial choice? Anything that, well, I felt like I didn't have a choice to even explore what I wanted to do because I was of the kind of family where you had to do business because it's practical. Um, my dad's very much into entrepreneurship. That was supposed to be like the better way to do things, mm-hmm. maybe take over the business or start my own. But, you know, design, arts, all of that was like not a ter- ter- territory to go into. I would, I did everything. Like when you're a child of entrepreneur, you learn how to do petty cash and balancing, you know, the end of the day sales and talking to customers, doing inventory, all these things I didn't know I was actually training for anyway. But I thought like, you know, one, I had to find myself too. I felt like business was bad for people because it felt like it had a bad effect on their relationships, our relationships. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it turned out that this is where my blood really would be elevated out of excitement. I love doing business when I realized that business meant more than just money. But it took me, oh my goodness, two decades to get here. But the hustle, I saw it. I saw it day in, day out. And I saw the hustle probably more also in school because mm-hmm. I was surrounded with a lot of hardworking people. And that's when I love to learn how to love work and not business for business sake. All right. Sounds good. Now we'll jump to Nina, Nina real quick. So Nina, was there an um, influence and what was it like growing up? Because again, if you got to AYLC very early, yeah, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll come clean. AYLC is the dream of what I want to also do hustle share. But instead of sending them to corporate, I want them Mm -hmm. to be founders or great founding members of startups so they can create startups down the road. But again, sorry, I'm just going to, AYLC is, so I'm I'm an only child. I don't have siblings, but everyone in the AYLC is my siblings apparently because they call my mom Mommy Rose. All of you guys are listening. <laughs> so yeah, what was it like growing up before AYLC, before everything else? 
Yeah, so I think I learned how to hustle really early. So like you, I'm the product of a single mom and I was also the ate. And I had to learn how to handle family budget at seven years old. So at seven, my mom said, okay, you're now little mommy. You're, uh, and my, mo- my mom was a flight attendant. So wow. she was away most of the time. So there would be trips now she's in Frankfurt for like 30 something days. So wow. you're now in charge of the family budget. Here's where the money is. You have to tell Yaya, diba? this is what they're going to buy for grocery. And I had a notebook where all the expenses had to be kept. And, you know, I had to be this adult-like person at seven years old. Oh um, enroll my enroll my siblings through school, etc. To do all the mommy work at a very young age. So that nice. was one part of it. The other was, um, I also come from a family of artists. So not quite wow. entrepreneurs. So on one side of my family, my uncle is a painter. My cousin is an actor. And my tita, she was really the one who hustled to manage everything. So she was in artist management, basically selling my uncle's paintings, managing my cousin's career. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had the early beginnings of, oh, you can actually make money doing things you love that you're passionate about. They're not just business. I didn't actually have an inkling of what traditional business looked like because my mother was in aviation. So she was always flying. So I didn't know what on earth, you know, was being done while she was out or, you know, what did they do except when we got to ride in airplanes. And then through my tita and her family, it was, oh, it's a palayong creative enterprise before, you know, that phrase became a thing. So that was the very early, early hustle, really mm-hmm. learning from those sides of the family and then having that responsibility imposed upon myself. Wow. Um, so also at a very early age, I kind of learned how to create things from nothing and then sell them. So I would turn my baby brother's bear brand into Polveron <laughs> and sell it to the neighbors <laughs> and then... And then the ayahs would go, where's the milk? Oh, okay. I used it to sell pulveron, <laughs> like to make and sell pulveron. Or, you know, I would, I would print stationery and sell stationery packs to the ayahs and the titas. Wow. So that, that's where the combination, I think, of finding a creative outlet and then trying to make money out of it um, started from. That's amazing. And again, at such an early age, you're forced to be by circumstance or again by by really just it being what it is you're you're an adult all of a sudden but the the blessing of that i guess is that you don't will under the the weight of responsibility because as you become a founder that's all it is is being responsible for things whether it's whether whether it's fun or not because down the road like for example i went through shit the whole year right mm-hmm. i'm obviously it's um it's not fun yeah but whether it's good or bad, the buck stops with you. And sometimes you have to play the role of Atlas, the Titan, where you're going to have to carry the whole world on your shoulders and bring it home, right? And that's the one thing that entrepreneurship or at least hustling and being an adult would do. Now, a couple of questions before we go through. I'll go back to Candice real quick. Candice, when you, after all of this, um, you now go, go to business school and whatnot, right? What was the first hustles that you did? So I'm going to go carbonate your titas a little bit, huh? I will go to your LinkedIn <laughs> and, and look at your first few hustles. And I want to understand several things. What were the skill stacks you developed very early on in your career? Because at the end of the day, whatever we learned early on in our career, 
still manifests one way or another to what, what we have. That's the foundation of who we are as entrepreneurs, as founders and whatnot. Candice, what was that for you? Oh my goodness. I actually had my first job as an online editor because this was the beginning of the internet age. Talk about dating yourself. Um, okay. This is in 1999. And the task really for me, okay, the impetus for me was just to get a job. And my friend told me there was an opening in this little tiny company, a publishing company. And I stumbled into the love of storytelling there. Mm. So I learned how to interview. I learned how to observe. At the same time, I also learned how to work on the tech side, not knowing that I was also going to fall in love with digital and tech and online kinds of things, because it's not something that you grow up with. But that online publication ended up kind of confused, and it, we had we left it eventually. And myself and my two other colleagues, we just tried to put up our own consultancy, not even knowing what a consultancy was. We just said, oh, we'll brand ourselves as these three girls who people can hire as editors. And we were able to get a couple of clients. But what happened really was that it started my whole career into freelancing. And I say that with a lot of pride because what I was really trying to do was figure out how to sustain myself without losing my identity and being of biggest value to those who were hiring me. So I was a professional freelancer for a lot of magazines, communication agencies, marketing work. But on the side, and this you do not see on my LinkedIn, I also found my way into artist management. I was oh. managing rock bands. Rock bands for beer because there Which was no... B- rock bands? Let's carbon date ourselves further here. Let's go. Super. Okay, this was even before the albums came out or they were recording or had just recorded their first album, Sugar Free. What? Mongo initially. Yeah. So um, the story with Ebe is, oh, okay. This is like really, really fun. I actually met Ebe and a few other friends to IRC. Oh, and yeah. we used to, to like meet up in Gulod, <laughs> Sarah's Gulod. I'm Atenista, by the way. Yeah, so they you guys are me. both. OBF, OBF. There you go. Yeah. They mm-hmm. always made fun of me in Gisera, all of that. <laughs> but um um but you know we, we it was a really nice way to build a startup community because we always always would hang out religiously every Wednesday. Then Abigail got to be part of that group and told me, Oh, I have this band, our members are changing, I'm losing my manager anywhere in countryside, and then I go like Oh, okay, what does it mean? So just book me in this, this tiny dives, right? Seven, this bistro, mirrors, you know, my dreams before, yep. little tiny bars. And I go, okay, so let's do that. And that's kind of what I did was kind of help push the bands onto the surface. Down the line, the Imago people should ask, could I also help manage them and just help wow. them grow uh, yeah, and then- in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? That happened for about two to three years, right before the big, you know, explosion. Because you have to face yourself after a while and think, now this is not really what I set myself out to do. I love music. I'm a cheerleader and champion of artists, but I was not planning a career in the creative field. Plus, all the odds were against us. You know, now yeah. everybody loves rock musicians and bands. Back yeah. then, we were up against Salbakuta and record companies <laughs> like SM Tours. It was really, really frustrating. There's a lot of tears. Oh my God. Really, I had to mount a bar tour on my own with no roadies or sound equipment and things like oh that. My because God. 
if nobody's going to give you a stage, you have to do it. So I learned how to work with other managers and bands yeah. so that we could create our own informal movement and be able to be seen as a group. That was the only way we could make space for ourselves. It was a very exciting time. I love the music scene back there. I learned how to be real, to manage people. I, this is the thing that doesn't really come up in job interviews because it just feels not corporate. At, but it isn't corporate. But learning, guerrilla marketing, all of that, yep. I can put all the business terms to it. It's there. And the hustle is there. You got to show up. You have to be on. You're the manager. You have to be the people person. You have to manage yours, your talents, fears and goals and the highs and the lows just to be able to get to the next step. So there's that. And that's just like the beginning because when I got in this relationship with my now husband, decided to get real jobs. So I got my second and only, probably my last employed position at Chica Asia, which opened me to the world of innovation and tech, but With also Dennis. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, for sure. That is Chico Juni. Roland Benson, who's now back in the start of Young Cinema again. I love the, the app that they're putting together. It's really amazing. But it also exposed me early on to the bro culture. They're amazing, amazing people. It was very, very exciting to be there. It was super high growth. Um, I entered at the time where they were expanding globally. So as the only communications person under the communications director, I actually had the front seat to the business. That's where I realized that if you're the comms person in the room, you're also the person who knows what's happening in the business. And you suddenly have a, you know, your own MBA happening there. Especially in startup. There's no hmm. roadmap to startup in the early 2000s. Nope. And I think that planted a seed in me because I went on to becoming editorial consultant, all the permutations of that name. Got pulled in to help set up Baby Center Philippines here as well, which is another startup. Didn't know what these words were at the point. But the merging of my skill set and technology seems to be like a pattern that came across because I love being in this world of online. I was in all the platforms. I enjoyed exploring and making connections with people around the world. In the early heydays of Twitter, I made all the connections so that I could push myself forward and my name forward to get more jobs or expand my network so that's um and the, the way that my life has planned out is it's not a one line thing there are multiple things happening at the same time mm-hmm. and now i have the luxury to see how it all connected together so the hustle is learning on your own because even with a business degree when you go in entrepreneurship or startup or innovation there's just a lot of and, and artist management right in rock band and underground all of that you just have to make decisions based on intuition as the same and strategy at the same time. So the training that I have is like really life training in some ways. And that's amazing. And if you look at it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what you did during the rock band hustle probably applies more than a very, not not more, but equally as important as the storytelling hustle. Right, but before we take our first break, I want to just dive in, and then after the break, we'll uh, continue on with Nina's hustle. Right, what I want to understand, Candice, is that in terms of skill stack, because the most important skills of a founder, especially from a foundational level, is number one: you need to storytell, because storytelling is the baseline of persuasion. Right, if you cannot say the narrative very well, whether it's verbally, written, whatever, 
it's going to be hard to convince people to join you on the ride. And second, you have to learn to be a multi-potentialite and to have multiple skill sets and be a Swiss knife. You can't be a one-trick pony, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, you're as a founder, when you start a startup, whatever it is, or it's startup, or it doesn't matter what, what whatever organization you're starting, you have to be not just good. You can't just be a jack of all trades on certain things. You have to have superpowers, at least two to three of them, that you can back into and then surround yourself with the rest. But I want to understand, with these superpowers you've done, how did you mesh that in? Because one thing that you also added onto the list is the core of startup life or founder life, which is self-discovery and self-learning. Because in school, we are taught that there are going to be systems handed down to you. You just need to learn the playbook and you're going to be okay. Right? And then you climb the corporate ladder, whatever that is. (laughs) In startup life, as a founder, that does not exist. It's a DIY project. There's no handbook. You jump off, off a cliff and figure out how to assemble a plane on the way down before you die. How did yeah. those things mesh together for you? And in hindsight, is that an accurate depiction of your core skill stack during their very early days? What leads me now to really claim the storyteller title is that I learned that what I did all my life was connecting dots, making sense of things. And while you you can't tell a story if you don't know how one thing connects to another Mm. and then what might happen next. That's one. You also learn as a storyteller that if you hold the pen, you know, the the metaphorical pen, that you also have the power to change how things connect to the next one and you can dictate an outcome. Mm. So it's very much the same in business because you're using your powers of observation of people, of how people work, learning from the past and taking it to the future so you can build something new together. So that's where storytelling is that goes beyond just editorial work or communications work. So that skill set is so critical as a founder because one of the things that we really made sure we did this year as we started was to listen. And all I did as a writer was listen to people all the time, take myself out of the story, a bit more old school journalism this way, so I could put them on the stage and really draw out the insights, the knowledge, the life skills, all of it, and then be able to translate it for an audience. Now, if that isn't business, I don't really know what is. It is what it is, right? You listen to your market, you find out where the pain points are, then you bridge it to a market, to a need, to the investors, and to the partners. That's where storytelling comes in. It's not just about creating a narrative. It's really talking about transformation. But starting from a point of empathy and using a lot of strategic insight to build. All right. Thank you so much. Now, again, let's take our first break. And when we come back, we will now continue about the skill stack that Nina was able to continue. And of course, piece this all together. Connect all the dots again and how that became the imaginable impact and why we need to support more female founders. But let's talk about that more after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with Candice Kimpo and Nina Terol. What the hell was I saying? I got bulol all the time. I'm sabaw. It's a Friday. Sorry, my bad. When we're recording this. But again, I'm a super amazing hustle. I'm a... I'm a big fan of people who went to events. My first startup was a nightlife startup. So I, I I can relate so much. And for a long time, I was a one-man team. I didn't even have co-founders. So my God, was it very, very hard. And again, uh, shout out to Ebe. I'm very good friends with Manong Vin. He's Kuya. Dear Kuya. Um, that, but not that's not the Dear Kuya guy, apparently. I, I asked him about the song. But again, I want to now understand... The world, the world renowned Nina Terol, because uh, super interesting. Again, we've been bumping to each other for a long time now, Nina. Mm-hmm. Right? You've always yep. been around the ecosystem, but I want to understand what led you then to down the road to really put this head on on your own venture. But let's talk about that later. I want to understand the skill stack. Your first few hustles. So, Nina, what was it like? Well, again, during the AYLC hustle or pre AYLC hustle. Who was Nina Terol? The Ate Nina Terol, who was already selling pulboron and why her siblings don't have gatas. <laughs> what was that hustle like and all the skill stacks you were able to uh, accumulate? Yeah, so I think I have to give a bit of a context and go pre-college graduation. So this was during college when I was really active in campus life. I was actually in student government. And that's where Candace and I met. Oh. So I was the candidate I was the candidate filing for my candidacy and Candace was a Comelec or she was in the Comelec, <laughs> right? What? I was okay. the head commissioner by senior year. Yes. Yeah. Right. So Candace was head commissioner and then I was running. So I had been running for student council all my college life. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's where I learned how to campaign for myself, first of mm-hmm. all, right? Um how do you go out there and introduce yourself to people, create a campaign so that you will win? I mean, very, very basic uh, campaigning level. So, and that's where I learned a lot of the skills in you know, student governance, like being the voice, 
for people, representing other people's needs, like forming a constituency, etc., dealing with school administrators, etc. So that was a lot of training for the real world. And that's also what led me to Ayala Young Leaders because as a student leader and then as really a nerd, the student leader slash dean slip, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I guess I was a prime candidate for that. Um, but after that, uh, you know, my Jesuit education coupled with Ayala Young Leaders kind of wrecked me because I had to be this servant leader, this woman for others, etc. But my first job, the first real hustle was actually in corporate and it was with Globe being an Ayala company and I was a management trainee and I loved it because I had to learn um, as a management trainee I had to learn the ins and outs of being in a telco so the early early forms of technology right and innovation and processes and the whole corporate setup so we went around different parts of the corporation we had like mini MBA types of courses and for my thesis for my management training thesis, mm-hmm. I had to, I was assigned to the to Globe Lines. This is like landline, landline acquisition, right? Okay. So does anyone still have landlines at home? Mm-hmm. But my thesis was how to shorten the landline application process. And wow. I proposed then that we could actually shorten the landline application process at the time from five to seven days to just one day. And that was my thesis. I had to go around the different departments trying to figure out how do we change the process, change the system to make sure that when somebody in Cavite applies for a landline, you know, they would get their landline the next day. And I had to create also acquisition campaigns on the ground, um, etc. So that was an early taste of what it's like to try to create change within a big system, like a huge corporation, and you needed dozens of signatures just to get something approved, um, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the bureaucracy. So that was, I think, an important skill set, like navigating corporate structures or, you know, right. navigating author- the authority structures, etc. But then eventually I said, mm, I don't think landlines are the future. <laughs> and I really want to... <laughs> I really want to go and change the world. So I actually left Globe to work in a nonprofit. Wow. And interestingly enough, that nonprofit, uh, they, they're still alive. They're called Venture for Fundraising. There so you go. Were, huh? Yeah. So they were a consultancy teaching other nonprofits how to fundraise for grants and philanthropic donations, etc. So that, I think, planted the early seeds in me oh, so there's such a thing as fundraising, but this was in the context of, you know, um, nonprofit and, you know, how to, how to create your message, how to nurture donors, etc. And then something happened in the family, the Ate had switched on again. And, you know, four years after graduation, my parents said, okay, both their careers crashed um, and, oh, no. and they had no income. And they said, okay, Ate, you have to step up and figure out how oh to, my God. you know, how to send your brother to high school. So, twenty-three-year-old me said, "What skill sets do I have that I can turn into something else?" So, thankfully, the nonprofit job—I was a communications manager then. The nonprofit job taught me everything from writing to um, 
we had a column in the Inquirer at the time, and I was managing that. Uh, we were publishing books under the ABB. So I, I learned everything from creating the campaign, pitching, publishing, printing, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, oh, I'll start my own mini agency. Mm. And I was able to convince my boss to hire, like, I would incorporate and they would hire me and they became my first client. So I'm going to resign, but I'll still work with you. And, you know, there were other people around us who supported me very early on. And that led to a five years since running my own communication agency in which again I had worked with Candice, but all but the primary objective was uh-huh. send my brother to school, right? Earn enough money to pay for rent, mm-hmm. uh, to take care of the whole family. And I knew nothing about business or managing a business or accounting and all that. All I knew was I had these skill sets. I knew how to pitch because I had campaigned for myself previously. Mm-hmm. I knew how to manage projects. I knew how to deal with corporate. And I had to learn how to make money that way. And mm. yeah, that was the initial arsenal that I had built up. That, and that was my first venture. Um, mm. right? but, but again, all in service of the family. And my initial clients were nonprofits, mm. um, government organizations. So again, putting on this change-making social impact. Yeah. Uh, and there were some really big corporates that, that also came in. So learning all of that and, and figuring out how to be a creative, because I was also the writer. Yep. I was also managing the project, but I was also the owner. Right. And wow, how do you deal with that? And I practically had no social life during that yeah. time. But hey, you know, it, was, it was fun. Absolutely. And here's what I want to understand. And I want to give super credit to you guys. I didn't know your backstory. And this is what I love about doing this podcast because I know the surface level, who you are now, the finished product that I interact. But every single time I, I talk to an amazing founder and you guys really open up your, your origin story, you just become more relatable. And I hope a lot of the listeners that we, I mean, that, that's basically what we've been doing for the past four and a half, almost five years now, is to really go through this. But I want to understand one thing and I'll, I'll throw this to you also, Candice. Because you guys bet on yourself very early. Bet on yourself with the initial skill stack that you built, storytelling, doing comps, right? And you bet on yourself. Uh, for, for Nina, it's because she had to be an ate, high stakes right away. You cannot, you're, there's no room for mistakes because you have mouths to feed and a brother to send to school, right? That's very intimidating and daunting. And there's a lot of sacrifices you're going to have to do. But even if you do have that, that bravado, you know, you're still going to stumble right out of the gates, especially that there's no playbook. Nga. What were the oh, struggles yeah. you had to go through and how intense was it? Because, you know, you have a mistake. You cannot, ha- you have to undo those mistakes or at least bounce back right away because, you know, rent is coming. You know, there's a lot of stakes uh, uh, on the table. What were those grinds and what were those struggles you had to go through du- during those very early days? of betting on yourself? I'll, I'll give one anecdote in particular. So when I made the brave move to jump into entrepreneurship and you know, or freelance and, and mm-hmm. do this thing, I didn't even have a computer at home oh because I had, donate, 
I had donated my computer to my cousin, to my younger cousin. You handed I figured, it down. I have a computer at work. Oh, okay. I didn't realize I was gonna need it. So in the super early days, I would write my drafts on a notebook, handwritten. Take a tri- take a tricycle to the nearest Netopia. Quickly type, the back. Type, type, type. type. <laughs> I also had to pay by the R, the back. Quickly right, type right. without mistakes. Send off the draft, etc. So that was the early, early time until my dad bought oh me a computer God. again. Yung ganon, like, and then building things up. And I also was very, very naive. So at this time, I was also freelancing for magazines, and I thought, yay, you know, hey, I have a feature out. Didn't realize it would take a while for you to get paid and then when the payments would come nakakayak dude yeah I know what? I heard this is how much I get paid my wife's a I former did. stylist and she has the same thing like oh my god we just did all the pullouts I did all of these freaking styling and I get what 2,000? 1,000? exactly oh my so god yeah yep, that was my world for a long time <laughs> Right? There was a time I checked my ATM because the money had come in and I really burst into tears because I think that's it. Um, so I had to learn to just do multiple projects at the same time. And then that's where I also learned that, oh, there's such a thing as being an outsourced writer for foreign companies, mm. right? And you earn in dollars or you earn better. So Thankfully, there was already that. And I just had to learn to develop multiple revenue streams. And oh, the one thing that kept me alive and my brother for three years was writing horoscopes for Infotech. Right? Uh, so all of these, you know, all of these, you know, horoscopes and thingamajigs, <laughs> like movie trivia that people subscribe to, I got paid a pretty, you know, pretty decent retainer for three years. Right? I know you're okay. Madam Auring at one point. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind, but he kept me alive, paying for the rent for three years. Hey, what a skill stack, deal. writing and astrology in one person. What? <laughs> in 160 characters. In 160 characters. <laughs> no, but Candace, I also want to understand yeah. Your, yeah. from your point of view. The grind, yeah. this grind, low stakes. I'd say there's not a lot of pay and then there's not a lot of digit. There's no Upwork yet at no. that time where you can actually and, just go and... I've tried Upwork. Bit. It's horrible. Um, but let me also insert here that one of the reasons I really stuck to my guns about working for myself was I became a mom mm. and I thought I would head back to work, maybe indoor or whatever, and just nothing would change. But the baby came and I'm like, no, I want to be super hands-on. So I decided to, even working, actually, Mia, you were the only exception. I took a job with you, right, when we started that mm-hmm. company. And my husband stepped up to be the stay-at-home parent, and the primary caregiver for a few months. But most of my life was really designed around what does it mean to build a business while raising kids? And that is not, a recipe for an easy life for sure. Mm. Like I was I bought in a while ago and say like the, the writing was my life and getting paid three months later for a thousand pesos, depending on how I think if you get a cover story, you'd get three thousand at a certain point. But what I was able to do, I think, because I was consistently showing up as a very good writer and editor, depending on the needs, was that I was able to build a brand and a reputation before the idea of a personal brand 
was, you know, like now it's so important. We know it's important that I was able to actually be available and also as a freelancer. So I was always, I was available. I was for hire that the opportunities were coming to me. So when Baby Center Philippines needed an online freelance editor, writer from the Philippines who was a mom, the person who was handling that connecting knew to go to me. When I was um, interviewing a couple of entrepreneurs, the collab owners back then, I don't know if you remember collab in Makati back in 2010-ish, like that, and then eventually collab mm-hmm. in Pasig. I interviewed them from for Entrepreneur Magazine talking about their venture. In a couple of weeks, they asked, hey, we want to put up a publication. We need an editor who wants to write about the stories of entrepreneurs and led me there. This actually... There's a segue to Vin's story here. Maybe you should ask him off the air, but I'm pretty mm. sure Vin met me net in one of my homegrown events because that's how you make worlds collide, right? You bring them from different right. places. And in homegrown, I think I also worked with Nina here. I hired a lot of my writer contacts at this point. The hustle really is, one is that I couldn't commit to a full-time job. There was no trajectory that you would have in a corporate ladder. But I just really counted on my reputation that down the line, the person who got me in collab also led me to the agency where I worked most recently because they needed someone of my reputation and skill and people were vetting for on me. So mm. at the lowest points that people don't see is that it sounds so good, but oh, we're eating at the palace joint or we're eating the Indiria food. You know, I couldn't, for my baby center interview, I had to fly to Singapore and I had no money. I had to borrow money for my airfare, go to the airport, take the interview, go back to the airport and go home and then oh, pay man. back. They were going to reimburse me, but I had to put it out there first. So I had to pay my utang as soon as I got reimbursed. At least I got the job. But you do what you have to do. You find ways to do these things. And I think I was just lucky to be young and stubborn. But I did not see it as a low, low quite yet. But really, this is a challenge. I just need to get through it. Because if my mindset was any weaker, I would have just like collapsed and be really miserable in a corporate job. Because I'm a bad employee. I'm not a good follower when Same. I know this can be better. <laughs> my longest employment is 11 months. Okay, so right? no, I have authority problems. So the, okay. the low point is really the mental battle. Because it's either do I go and look for a high-paying job because I have a lot to offer or do I keep on doing this? I remember getting a job that was another online writing thing, like writing blurbs for real estate. And like, oh, this is a pretty pretty high-paying. I put in two days because I was mm. crying. I can't be a content farm. So it's, it's this learning what matters. I think what I was really looking for is to find meaningful work that pays. And I tried it all upwork all of it and nothing was working and this is how i got here and, and we'll talk about that later but the low points were really difficult because i had a baby and then i had another baby in eight years and i really really wanted to be the good parent that i wanted to be where business will not get in the way of my family because that's my who got right so mm. there you go that's amazing now i'll go i'll go back to nina so so I want to I want to continue on Nina's um story here. I want to then ask. So after all this grind, you know, because uh, I've seen you around, right? You've also again very mm-hmm. similar par- and parallel 
grinds here. And you told us your hugot already, Candice. What did you do after that? Because I think the stakes did not change anyway. It just got bigger and bigger, right? When you bet on yourself, you just get used to that grind. And eventually, you become you know, better at yeah. it through highs, through the lows. But you find solace in you betting on yourself. How did you continue this journey as you came along in your career? Mm-hmm. So for me, the betting on myself took a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, so five years into running my own thing, mm-hmm. there was a big government scandal. And because I had been in student government and in AYLC, person for other servant leader, yep. I started becoming active in political blogging at the mm-hmm. time. Okay. Uh, for the record, this, this is- was... 2008. Okay, pre-red so, tagging. There you go. Yes, pre-red okay. tagging. 2008, <laughs> etc. And then I started becoming acti- my activist self again. I was showing up in rallies. I was you know, speaking out about government. And I was really brazen at the time. You know, when you're young and fearless and kind mm-hmm. of foolish. So, you know, I wrote stuff like a citizen 10-point reform agenda. And, you know, things like that went around. And, Eventually, I got invited to join government. So I guess because my voice was so loud and I was persistent and I showed up in a lot of these things. And I also formed another youth organization at the time that was fighting for truth, accountability, reform, etc. So I got invited to join government. And my dilemma at the time was, do I continue fighting from the outside Or do I try to create change from inside? And again, this was where, I guess, the corporate mentality came in. uh, But, you know, you can actually try to change a system from inside it. You can't always be the outsider. So I accepted the offer. Uh, I became communications head for a progressive senator who's unfortunately no longer in office. I know. Startups owe him this guy. Oh, this guy so much. Okay, Senator Ben. No, this is, no, no, this is before Senator Dante. It's ah, okay, Senator wait, wait. Kiko Pangilinan. Oh, so, Senator okay. Kiko Pangilinan in, in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, 2009. So, mm-hmm. 2009, I learned a lot there uh, about, again, um, campaigning, community building. This was the early happy days of social media, Twitter, yeah. Lurk, you know, taught, taught my principal how to blog, how to tweet. Um, mm-hmm. Social media was a nice, happy place. Yep. So there was that. There was those five. So after then after Senator Tico, it's Senator Bam naman. And those years in government just expanded, I guess, the hugot. Na now it became para sabayan, diba? What else can we do for the country? What change can we create? Ayun then being exposed to social entrepreneurs, right? So just at the time when Candice was, um, active with homegrown and you know the the startup scene and the social enterprise scene. I was there from the lens of government. Got it. And then that's where the, the dots started to connect. That you know you need government, you need the private sector to work together, and there has to be systemic approaches to changing things. Um, and I started forming. You know, ideas of what are the other things that need to be changed, mm-hmm. right? And how can we galvanize people? How can we create ecosystems and communities to make sure that the change happens and mm-hmm. is sustained? Got it. All right. Now, when this uh, came through, I, I want to now go back to your towards the latter part of your careers before 
you then decided, all right, just again, you you I'll just breeze through this real quick. I, I remember seeing you in with Winston Damarillo in Talino and whatnot, with Unawa, and then you also did the final pitch again. So you know, I always see you somewhere and I was like, what? She's she's everywhere. And I mean I love what she's doing. But through all of this, and I'm pretty sure Candice, you also were doing a lot of these other again, uh hustles. But when did it click? You said you guys were connecting dots separately. But when did that like, you know, meet together into one common yeah. dot and say, yo, let's do something together? I'll start because the pattern, it's starting to come together actually at this point. Well, five years ago, I got involved with an agency that was trying to uplift the story of immigrants, basically more in the U.S., but really mm-hmm. around the world. And I got really deep into social impact storytelling, telling the stories of marginalized communities, getting really very deep into DEI before DEI was even important. So this was before George Floyd and all of that. Understanding intersectionalities. I was so deep into inclusion work that I knew that kind of changed the game for me. I always want to look at what it means for marginalized communities to be invisible and what can we do to visibilize them. And that thing ended two years ago. Last year, when did we, everything happen? You know, imaginable was so fast. I feel like it's been five years already. <laughs> but, um, 2022. So, okay. So you're right. So last year, I transitioned out of working with them. At that point, I was already managing director, but, you know, we had to part ways. And then um, I reconnected with Mina because she was uh, looking for somebody for comms for Salino. Mm. <laughs> And we hadn't talked in so long. And I knew from a few things she was posting that she was also going through a few things. So we caught up first on Zoom. And um, she wasn't telling me the whole story yet. But there, you want to pick up from here? Yeah. So I think um, but the, my time in startups and even uh, a bit before that also exposed me to a lot of uh, the brunettes, right? That, that we initially had talked about. So Seeing the broness of being, sometimes being the only female in the room. Uh, I also had roles where I was the only female or one of the few females. Tapos ako pa yung youngest, and you know you always just had to prove yourself. You know through so many layers, like so many layers of proving before you get the work done. So when Candace and I caught up, yun, I was at the tail end of I think a very exhausting startup run, and I also saw certain things that, uh, that I realized were unsustainable in this whole hustle culture. So there were things that obviously needed to change. And I told myself back then, you know, when I'm able to get out of here and you know, figure out what I'm going to do for myself, I need to make sure that I create an organization that will hopefully grow startups in a more sustainable way, you know, not burn people out to the ground. Um, see what it's like to open more doors for women. And even back then, as early as 2017, I had this dream for what if there could be accelerator programs and incubators for all female founders? And back then, it was like, what? It's really a pipe dream. Mm. But it, it was a long-held dream. Now, what if we could create spaces for women right, to come together and learn how to do the whole startup thing or innovate or mm. you know, just be thriving entrepreneurs together because I wasn't seeing enough of it in the, the scenes we were going out, the geeks on the beach. How many women were pitching on the geeks on the beach stage? How many women were 
on stage speaking halos wala diba so uh, yun when Candice and I reconnected it was really that na the things were already brewing um, yeah. and between us we had enough experience to know that we wanted some change to happen in the circle that we were exposed to yeah so we actually started exploring reconnecting in a more tangible way so as asking me yeah what happened to your your conference your girls conference because i mm-hmm. think you were very passionate about it and it was on pause so i started interviewing her basically with what do you want to do with it do you mm-hmm. want to take it further all of that so resources all of it so i'm like Huh. She was coaching me. <laughs> yeah, she was going through her own purpose reflection, and I felt compelled to butt in with no permission. Actually, <laughs> 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 okay, there's a lot of trust there. She there was very go. receptive, so I think we were starting to build a, a new kind, like the the next level of our trust relationship, without knowing that we were doing it. So I said, why don't we make a podcast? Because it's going to be easy to just do it. <laughs> it is not. We did. We so hard. Six episodes down. We had great conversations. But what was happening that we were putting out our own like position papers, purpose papers. And we knew that we wanted not to be a podcast. We were thinking about it. We had a lot of things about building community and movements for women in leadership. Uh-huh. So... We started talking September, October, recording for the podcast around that time as well and getting our guests. Then we met up for our birthday in January this year. And then things just moved really, really, really fast mm. because we came with notebooks and everything. I remember we were starting to write mm. things down and I said, mm-hmm. okay, if it sounds like the business you want to put up and this podcast community, whatever it is that we're doing, sounds Like they're overlapping. So are we going to find a way to separate your brand and your mission with our community? By the end of that lunch, we were planning our company and decided that, um, yeah, I still, I think coaching at this point. Okay, so what's our niche? What's your purpose? Women, leadership, inclusion. And by that day, we went to a book launch and met so many other people who opened doors for us by the next month and Imaginable Impact was born. That is amazing. Now, okay, when you then, again, put put all the pieces together, what was the value mm-hmm. propaganda? I'm just going to go startup style here. What was the problem? Of course, the problem you're solving is obviously uh, for to, to empower more female founders, right? Uh, but I want to understand the solutions because I don't think yeah. it's a one one trick pony here. There's this is a, no. there's a lot that <laughs> you need to uncover and I think you have to do it in phases. Yeah. And I want to be yeah. participative because a lot of the people here that listen to hustle share including myself want to really again uh, help out I, i do my best trying to put the, the the best female founders out there who i think are ready to be shared up it's just that the numbers game just don't reflect it again just look at the hustle share roster 80% are dudes bro coach not saying bro, bro, bro it's just that the, this is the name of the game but i want more mm-hmm. girls right we need more girls yeah. up in this club there you go so, so I, what 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 are these yeah. things that you, you you're you see in solve or how you want to solve using imaginable impact mm-hmm. yeah but before we go there i think i need to acknowledge that sentiment so when we first like became public as a women-led and women-centric 
company, that question came up from all sides. Investors asking us, can you help us find more female founders? Right? Mm-hmm. Where are the female like, organizers mm-hmm. asking us, can you help us book all of this? So there was this thirst for female founders, which we found really baffling because on our end, we were also asking, where are the female founders, leaders, CEOs? And we had to figure out before we look at for a solution, what is the problem that we want to solve? And because when we started, our day one was a women's power brunch, mm-hmm. co-hosted with VCs, right? It was really interesting for us to see that there are women. There were 30 women in that room and really, really powerful women. And they were so hungry for community and support and connection that we had to go back to our Zoom meeting and say, so what are we going to do with this information? And we decided that first we needed to listen to the women and listen to the stakeholders until several months we decided to throw our hat in the game to solve the invisibility of women in the startup world. Because that's really what it is. We, we used to say that we were bridging women to investability, but women are investable. There's no mm-hmm. question there. The numbers already say that if you have a woman in the founding group, all of yeah. that, all the numbers are good. The investors are not pushing them away. So where's invisibility coming from? And and I'll get this started and you can go deeper here. So right now, we're just seeing that the critical gaps to business growth as a woman founder, as a leader, is really nuanced. There's the cultural, there's the self-talk that you have, there are the roles you think you are expected to play that kind of gets in the way of you being an entrepreneur, a CEO, or a founder. And so we're tackling these gaps to business growth. So to help you go from a negative to growing and scaling, we need to address your confidence gap and your mindset. We need to address yes. your knowledge and confidence gap because to start a company is not just about registering, right? Nope. I still get questions like, what does it mean to do all these things? So mm-hmm. we're so, and the last gap really is a capital gap, whether it's access or knowing your strategy and fundraising or networking with the right people. And even realizing that before we can help people bridge them to the right gatekeepers or enablers, is that there are people like us. We're our own case study. What does it mean for us to be women with no generational wealth, you know, mm-hmm. struggling with day-to-day chores and caregiving and all of that and still want to grow a giant company? Where do we build a mindset where we don't falter when things get hard? How do we get better with running our operations and looking at our revenue models and where are all these resources, right? Butinalang Nina is really the extrovert who's out there in public. So we do have a good network that I was, you know, and combined, we're doing pretty well that way. But we're also trying to understand this capital situation for women because if they're not showing up in the deal rooms or in VC conversations and all of that, where are they? Because they do exist. We talk to them. Yeah. Why are they opting out? So it's a bit of a mystery that we're solving. And Nina and I have been working really hard to, to take the next steps no, towards uh, solutions. What, what, yeah. I'm just going to come clean. And I understand, hmm. again, the, the problem. I understand the solution. Yeah. It's multi, multi-layers. But here's no, one thing. So- one, one thing I wanted to f- understand. Sorry. Uh, I, I want to understand one thing. Because in order for you guys to keep doing what you're doing, we need to also mm-hmm. give you back. As, an, as yeah. a company, what's yeah. the business mm-hmm. model? Because mm-hmm. that's... That's what we want to be able to support. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, then it benefits all the female founders. How do we he- help you guys out? 
So yeah. that's where we're at now. Nice. I think Hustle Share is going to get first dibs on. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. So yeah, you're going to get first dibs to what we're working on, especially for 2024 onwards. It's so exciting. So a oh. little tiny backstory lang is that okay. in uh, October this year, we launched the Found Her Forum. Um, and Found Her is our brand. So that's our banner program that really speaks to female founders and, you know, the, the startup ecosystem developing and championing female founders. So that's the big thing we're working on. But in terms of the business model, so we're seeing that for Found Her, there will be a number of revenue streams and there will be a number of things that we will keep going for 2024 onwards. So one will be continuing the founder forums because it's going to be very important to elevate the conversations and bring people together. Mm. You know, a lot of conversations happen in small, close meetings, you know, private messages, Zoom calls. But again, bringing in the ecosystem, change-making hat, right? And connecting the dots. What happens when we're able to connect influential people and thought leaders and founders and investors in the room to talk about these things and champion women founders together and make visible female founders that are already doing awesome things. So one important thing is um, for us to keep the founder forums going, invite more people, right? Uh, Bring the founder forums around as much as we can. Um, It's going to be tough to scale an event, but but we're going to have to take the, the first baby steps. Um, mm. The other thing is, it's very important for female founders and entrepreneurs in general, right? To be able to build community as they're building a business. So Founder is meant to be a community and education platform. Uh. Um, and, and Candice mentioned some critical gaps that we are addressing. So we will be addressing confidence gaps. Yep. But, um, there will be you know, classes, workshops, etc. Uh, to do that. Because very often, our first barriers are ourselves. And we yes. need to be able to reframe things. And we need to be exposed to other founders or thought leaders you know, or coaches who can help us get there. And we do it together. The others uh, would be competence gaps. So there will be these critical gaps that will be addressed by um, classes and you know, conversations and a lot of um, knowledge and, and capacity building. And again, the community is going to be very important because as we're building things, we know that women will always be needing support. We will always need to be connected to people who can potentially be colla- collaborators, potentially be investors, potentially be customers. So the job at hand is to nurture this community while ensuring that you know, the women get access to the knowledge and the support that they will need to grow and eventually be able to raise capital or be connected to capital sources. So that's a lot of the work that will be coming for us in 2024 onwards. And again, Found Her is going to be the banner program for that. That is amazing. And again, we will support you in every way possible. The Hustle Share community and the whole startup community is going to be behind you. But now let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now discuss what's up next. You already gave us a brief outlook of what that would look like and how we can actually help founders. And of course, help you guys in Founder Forum and also Imaginable Impact. Let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter 
suggest you grow your own startup because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprouts Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes, all the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll in pay. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. 
For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust DragonPay. And we're back from the break. We are still with Nina Terol and Candice Kimpo. Okay, there. I'm not butchering any last names anymore. Okay, and just not saying random people. Again, of imaginable impact. And again, before this, the, we took the break, they already told us what, what that alignment factor was. But let's continue the story until uh, we. I'd like to ask um, the some advice for our female founders that I really that I think is ample to be discussed. But okay, you you now have this. But what type of real support can we really flood in? Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of startups. Really, mm-hmm. the difference between now and ten years ago, when we started out in the whole ecosystem, was if you ask for support, there's only what two to three companies that each actually has the wherewithal to actually support something. And it's mm-hmm. not big pa, mm-hmm. right? Now you have a yeah. lot of companies, homegrown, uh, hopefully with more female founders, um, that are more than willing to actually pay it forward because they've already achieved success on their own, right? Uh, but what? how can we support the, the imaginable impact in really doing this, at least in the most immediate form? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the founder forums. So um, founder and our founder forums, again, you expect a lot more of that in 2024 and even moving forward. And mm-hmm. we invite support in a number of ways. Number one, if you're a brand, if you're a corporation who believes in the power of investing in women, you want to take your claim and say that, you know, this is part of our mission then join us as you know one of the partners. Uh, there, there's a series to look forward to in 2024, and there will be interesting topics that we we'd like to surface. So brands are definitely welcome to join us to fuel that conversation. Number two, of course, the community. Be there. Be part of the conversation. Join us. Uh, you know, even see how can we bring it outside of Metro Manila. Um, you know, Metro Manila, of course will have to be the starting point, but how can we expand the conversation? We'd love to know um, and we'd love to meet people who can help make that happen. Yep. And, you know, the others, is, of course, are allies. Um, you don't have to be female to believe mm-hmm. in the power of women. So join the event, invest in us, invest in other females who'd like to be part of the forums and our other learning programs. There's so much to learn from. And again, you can approach it from, from many different ways. You can partner with us, you can also be, you know, some of the subject matter experts we will be inviting to share your knowledge and experience. And if you're a female founder or even starting to think of becoming a founder, just exploring whether you're in corporate, you know, you're entrepreneurial, etc. Join us and be part of the community. So mm. that's where I'll start. But I'll, I'll have Candice talk a bit more about um, the other exciting thing we're hatching on the community side. All right, Candice. Right. So this year, we've been very privileged to build a community of wonderful women. And we really want to be able to support them in a more structured way. So we are opening the Founder Network in 2024. There it's going go. to be a premium slash free. So the freemium membership network so that we can be more organized in being able to share news and special deals a lot more focus on what it means to grow your business through the programs you'll have access to at least the first news about that and all of it. And the paid membership will allow 
a lot of brand sponsors and ecosystem partners to come in and partner and help us build a curriculum for nice. this because the knowledge the knowledge gap is so critical and all of us need to come here together. So we are the platform and the community where experts can come in and uplift the women and women who are thinking about getting better at what they do as business founders will have a home in this community. So wait for further announcements there, but it's definitely coming. It's Watch. a collaborative community, right? Comprised of peers, mentors, coaches, ecosystem enablers, investors, and corporate sponsors because we're all in this together. There you go, like high school musical. But again, um, I want to ask several questions that uh, I think I've seen towards uh, the found her ecosystem. First off is overcoming imposter syndrome. This happens whether you're a dude, and I think uh, also more with 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 sometimes with 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 women, right? Mm-hmm. I'll make an anecdote. She's probably gonna kill me saying this, but my wife, she's a founder. Found her. Okay. My, yeah. uh, so I have a new startup, right? It's called Papa Pressure. It's a pressure washing service, tech-enabled service, uh, tech-enabled startup, right? So what yeah. we do is we want to do exterior uh, cleaning. But my co-founders here, there's, there's two females. My wife, she's the managing director. So uh, of course, I can't do two managing at the same time. I have p and still. And, uh, she, so she does that. Her superpower is she's a marketing and creatives like you guys. But whenever I ask her, they'll think, oh, you should meet up, blah, blah, blah. My wife would go and say like, ah, I wanna, I wanna go um and and see uh founders, but I'm I'm yeah, I'm not sure if I should be in the room, and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of female founders like that 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 are beaming that they know they can make it, they they belong in that room, they belong in that conversation, they have what it takes to thrive, but sometimes they're the one shooting their own foot, they're the one canceling themselves already, they haven't even tried. What is your advice for those founders or female founders that are in that state? Because I, at least now there's a community that, 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 that's there that's very inclusive. Because a lot of these are more, a lot of these founders are very, very qualified. How do you get over that hump? One is to learn how to just show up all the time. And when I mean show up, it's really just being able to commit to an event or to a call. Anything that helps you build momentum because imposter syndrome is a confidence issue and no one is as confident as they look. Really, everyone is just showing up ready or not ready. So it comes hand in hand with trying. And women, I think, we're trained to feel like we need to be perfect before we show up. So being comfortable with being imperfect and showing up, that's what it takes. You know, I think that's the first build momentum in learning how to show up. And then second, I think for my own imposter syndrome journey is finding the friendly faces that you want to go with because sometimes you just need like, you know, a girlfriend or somebody you know who's going to bolster you up until you're ready to do it by yourself. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll add to that. I mean, we can be that for you. We're you're creating the founder network because we know what it's like but to be excluded. So, you know, come to us. It's an absolutely safe space. Um, we've had events where women would ask, um, am I qualified here because I'm not a founder? Or am I a founder? I have a business, but I'm not sure if I'm a founder. So, of course, we're talking about female founders, but we can ditch the labels. You know, come as you are. If you're just exploring, if you're even just curious about starting a business, growing a business, 
um, come and let's explore together. Because Candice and I are also learning as we go along. Again, we're a yeah. new company. We've had decades before us, but about, um, it's always growth mindset when you're entering a new space. And the other, which is who got to my own imposter syndrome journey, is we have to learn to reframe the stories in our head. Really, life has screwed us up, but sometimes we add to the screwing up of our own brains, right? Mm. So we have to figure out how to reframe our own narrative, look at things from a different perspective, and turn, you know, turn some of those failure stories into learning stories and or resilient stories and know that if you've fallen and many of us have, you know, there's an equally interesting comeback story in there and we welcome all kinds into the community. This is where you can bring your story and yourself and be vulnerable and we'll all learn and grow together. Yeah, I just need to add because I think this is also something that you find important, Ron, is that Imposter syndrome and all its siblings really is a matter of mental health. We need to be kinder to ourselves and more compassionate to ourselves as we try to build these giant ventures and these big dreams because it's not so much about people judging us sometimes, but the way we judge ourselves. So we need to be the first ones to shut down that inner critic and say, hey, I'm good enough or I can be better. I'm not Mm -hmm. here yet, but that yet, can change so really it's really a conversation with yourself and why you're worth it you're really your own something but you need to get out of your own way many many Mm -hmm. times as a founder Mm -hmm. that is amazing now i want to ask a couple more questions before we let you guys go because i think we're gonna go a bit over time but you know does it you mentioned it earlier nina that you know does it does does labels even matter Right? Because at the end of the day, people always think that, ah, okay, you're only a founder if you're a CEO. And this is not just all on females as well. People are so enamored by being CEO. And majority of the time, most most people that come into business are not even prepared for what it takes to be CEO where the buck stops with you. You know, because again, there's a lot of co-founders, founders, but does it really just Mm -hmm. have to be CEO or do you need to be the foundational blocks of the four pillars of a whole bit structure that you're building and the female, the female circus, is, is it a dichotomy basically that you're, you have to be CEO or you're not? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, we've huh. seen startups with very diverse founding teams, right? So CEO is just the title. It's even actually the most nebulous title because what on earth does that mean? It's the least, clear title of, of many of the C-suite, right? But yeah. again, for founder and, you know, for this startup ecosystem, I think we should care about titles less and we should yes. really look more into what can people bring to the table. And again, look at teams. Let's not just look at individual founders. Right? Okay, I know Candice is itching yeah. to say something as well. No, I mean, labels don't matter <clears throat> when you're building your company, but it's so important for you to be able to articulate what you bring to the table. Yes. And mm-hmm. if a title helps you explain what you do, especially to people that you want to help you or support you, then that's part of the competence skill set is learning how to explain what you do and how the co-founding team comes together. So it's mm-hmm. not, right, the title for the title's sake that, okay, we need yep. all the C-suite roles to be filled up. 
No, it's really, okay, if we're going to put this role up for you or for me, I need to be able to know what the expectation is that comes with it and know if this is how, this is the language that we speak. So labels don't exist because it gives us credibility. I think labels help us explain what we do to the world and being able to communicate and define the role as you go along is the skill that you need to build, not so much knowing what title to give yourself. That is amazing. All right. Now, last uh, uh, question. And this is going to be in line with what your superpowers are. You guys are amazing storytellers for years and years, right? But again, this is not just for found, for female founders, but for everyone. Because this is a super skill that each startup founder needs to know how to master. You're telling stories all the time, right? What are the building blocks and what, what is your advice for people in telling the story of their startup? I'll start. I think you need to paint a really vivid picture of what problem you're solving, who you're solving it for, and what's the outcome. Like for us, what's the imaginable impact that we're looking to make? So you need to make that crystal clear in the minds of your audience so that they can be excited to join you, right? And, and be part of your cause or your mission because every business has a bigger mission. And you need to be able to tell the story to bring people along with you. you know, storytelling, especially storytelling for a business, is really about telling stories of transformation. So what you want to do when you tell any story, whether it's your origin story or the story of your startup or the story of your vision, is show how things are going to change or the change that you want to make happen. So the first building block is establishing where you are defining the situation and the context. The second building block is identifying what is the thing that makes things tip over. So normally that's your solution or whatever it is that comes together that makes things change. And then the imagined future or the future that you're selling and aspiring for. There are more components that we can go deeper into, but if you master those three parts, then you're able to take your listeners, your audience, and your you know, your market into a journey that has more heart than just throwing out data points and information and facts because you want them to be emotionally connected to that transformation. All right. Now, last question before I let you guys, you ladies go. All right. This is such an amazing episode. I'm glad we're finally able to do it. You guys are both alphas, right? Type A personality, alpha females. And in every startup, there's always going to be a dearth to that. Because if you're not rolling with a strong pack, good luck in your, uh, good luck in your, um, in your success rate, right? Because you have to learn, you have to coexist with alphas. And sometimes there's going to be arguments, there's, there's going to be misalignments. But based on your experience, just working together and what would be your advice also in, you know, making it work? Because it can't be, you know, authoritarian per se. There are going to be a lot of strong personalities in the room, whether it's female founders mm-hmm. together, male or female, or a bunch of group that's just all very strong-headed and believe in, uh, in, in a common goal. How do you make that work? And also, uh, if you have um, anecdotes on how you guys do it together, what would be your advice? I think the first one is really being clear on our purpose. So that anything, if there's any misalignment, miscommunication, we can refer to why we're doing what we're doing. So that's the business purpose. Uh-huh. And then also making sure that our personal purpose is aligned there. And that's why we still work. 
But I think one thing that we're discovering, Nina and I, is that part of our mm-hmm. purpose is also to make sure there's joy in what we do. So we don't rain on each other's bird, right? We definitely yeah. clash in many ways because we're trying to mm-hmm. reach a certain goal. But we try to always take a step back to see, are we still happy doing what we're doing? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. where the alpha nest is not, it helps us move forward, but what sustains us is making sure that this still is worth the trip for us. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to say, you know, I, I am somebody who is aware that I need to check against my own ego, right? Because sometimes when you're an extrovert or you're kind of used to being on stage or having a stage, you always need to check now, am I still doing this because this is what's good for the business or am I looking for brownie points or affirmation from something? So the self-awareness and the ego check really helps. And you have to do a lot of inner work for that. And the second, you know, and in line with the stepping back, it's always to make sure that there's room for conversation and just but also being able to talk to each other about, okay, what, what's going on in there? What's going on behind the scenes that might have affected certain decisions? So it's also trusting that, especially for co-founders, you really have to have a trust relationship because you're not, it's not just employee-employer, it's not client and service provider. It, this is practically like a marriage. You're building something together and you're betting on the growth of this big baby that you're raising. So there has to be a lot of openness to growing and, and changing together as well. Now, so if you're talking about like it's like a marriage, I think the last thing I'll throw into this is really acceptance. Mm-hmm. It's so important that we know who the other person is and not expect that person to be a different kind of person because Mm-mm. that's Mm-mm. also how you build a good business is knowing each other's strengths yeah. and knowing where you can pitch in to pick up the slack if you have Mm-mm. to because that's the other person's weakness. And so yeah. there's that yeah. give and take when you have an acceptance and knowledge of how each of you work independently and together. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Nina and Candice. But before I let you go again, if they want to work with you in Imaginable Impact, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, so very simply head on to our you know website, imaginableimpact.com to learn more about who we are. But you can always reach us on social. So Imaginable Impact on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Candice and I, right now, we are the faces and the personal brands also behind Imaginable Impact. So you can always slide into our DMs. We're active on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, and TikTok? No. Yeah. <laughs> Are Maybe you doing TikTok? I'm holding Maybe. out too. You know, Maybe. don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. Just before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. And if you did say some jargon, any type of the links that we've mentioned today, you can find it on, on hustleshare.com. And if you also want to support, like our premium sponsors like Angelo Lee, Gab Abbott, and a bunch of other guys that you know uh, support us like Gentry Pan and a bunch that you can see on the Hustleshare website you can go to premium.hustleshare.com again Nina and Candice thank you very much thank, thank you. you that was great alright I'll see you guys in the next episode peace